Tonight's show is brought to you by our supporters on Patreon, Bendetti Optics, and you, our listeners. If you feel like you're being stalked, you probably are, and you need to take um, action to mitigate the fact that you're about to be eaten. What is up, all of you wayward souls, and welcome back to the Wayward Stories podcast. Wayward Stories is the podcast where we tell the tales of our adventures in wandering and wondering. How are you guys doing tonight? Hey, did you guys have a good weekend? Because, you know, I didn't. No, actually, I did. Actually, I had a mixed bag. Um, you know what? Some injuries are self-inflicted. Um, I did nine and a half hours straight of geology homework on Sunday, um, which was absolutely miserable. I did, however, ace that paper, and it was excellent work, um, according to my professor anyway. But it was like, God, Sunday was the freaking worst. Literally stopped to pee a couple times and uh, stopped to eat for like 10 minutes at one point. But... As I say, it was a self-inflicted wound because on Saturday, Jess and I took her girl child on a little adventure to uh, Silver Dollar City. Um, For you guys outside of the U.S., all of our listeners around the world, that's like just a theme park here in America. Kind of like maybe a a Six Flags or something you've maybe heard of. Um, For people around here, people have made fun of it for years. They call it like the, the Redneck Disney World and stuff like that. Um, but it's just a couple hours from here. And in all fairness, it's actually a really cool place. Like a couple hours away, it's got a really cool vibe and they have a lot of awesome roller coasters. They really do. They have some like top tier roller coasters. So Saturday, that's what I did, which is part of why I had to spend nine and a half hours on Sunday doing homework. So, you know, some, some injuries, I guess are self-inflicted, but in all, actually it was a great weekend because we had a blast. Y'all, I'm getting older. And I figured out like 10, 12 years ago that roller coasters extremely like nauseate me. And I love coasters, y'all. There used to be no coaster on this planet that you could put in front of me that I wouldn't ride. I love them. Still love them. But like, it got really easily nauseated about 10, 12 years ago when I was like 30, right? So I was like, gosh, crap. Well, I don't know. Maybe this is like aging or something. But anyway, we go up there. And, and this girl child, she wants to ride some roller coasters, but she's like on the fence about it because she's like, I think just turned 13. And so it's like, do I want to do this? Do I want to not want to do this? And like, she, we got her hopped up, right? I was like, we got you hopped up. We can do this. I was like, I will ride with you because her mama ain't having it, right? Because she gets way nauseated, like ruin her day kind of nauseated. So I'm like, you know what? What is a little nausea for a bonding experience? You know what I mean? I can handle that. It's like, we're going to do this. And so we did. And she had a blast and it was freaking awesome. And we even did like probably the most intense one that they have there. Um, it may have taken bribery of like a funnel cake, possibly maybe a hot fudge Sunday someday in the future. Um, cause they make some pretty killer food there in the park. And what's funny is like, that was like, you know, the bribe was like, I'm going to get you this. If you will do this, it was like, you know what? Let's do it. I'm game. And then after we got off of it, Oh my God. You want to talk about rock, rock our worlds. It was like, you know what? How about we just like next time, next time we'll get a funnel cake next time because it's not happening today. I'm not ingesting anything today. Um, but it was a blast. So it was a good time. Sunday sucked, but Saturday, it was Sunday was totally worth it. Sunday is, is a price I'll pay anytime for some really good, like family time. 
You know what I mean? Really good time getting out and having a good time. Um, anyway, so I hope you guys had a good weekend. As you're listening to this right now, you may like have noticed it didn't drop necessarily on time, which maybe you've gotten used to over the last few months, but it is at least dropping, hopefully, on the right day. Like right now, as I'm recording, it is approximately 6 o'clock my time, 1,800 hours central um, on Tuesday, which is what, the 11th? Yeah, yeah, it's July 11th. So right now is when the episode usually drops, and I'm just now recording the intro. So, but it will be out by tonight. You know, again, prices you pay. It's getting crazy. School's getting crazy. Geology sucks, y'all. It's actually really fascinating, but I feel like they dropped me into like a graduate level class without any undergraduate training in it. Because it was like week one, it's like prepare an 11 page site report as a proposed, you know, not proposed. Um, Oh gosh, what was it? With recommendations on a proposed development area somewhere in the mountains of Oregon, but based on the underlying geology. And I'm like, the hell are you talking about? This is week one, right? Like, I don't even know, well, 90% of the terms that I'm supposed to use this week. So this is like not fun, but it is actually really interesting. And believe it or not, this is going to circle back around to matter sometime later in the episode. Anyway, we'll get a little bit of quick housekeeping out of the way. You guys, we're getting there on the YouTube subscribers. So if you guys are listening and you got a YouTube account, please go out there and look us up youtube.com forward slash wayward stories and give us a subscribe got to get to a thousand subscribers we're getting there we're at 891 right now today as i last checked so we're growing we're building and we're growing and it's y'all's support that's getting the job done and your word of mouth tell people about the show guys if you get the chance like you know what I, i love it that some people are supporting on Patreon, which is still a little weird for me, but that's awesome. But what helps the show more than anything is literally just telling someone about us, dropping a, a a link into a Facebook group that you're in. You know, if you will share us around, that's what gets us a bigger following and builds us up, as I've told you a million times. And if you haven't subscribed and um, rated and reviewed on Apple or iTunes or wherever you're listening, please do. Please do. It's extremely helpful. Those reviews are so huge. You have no idea. So if you get a chance, you will have my eternal gratitude. So let's get into tonight's show. As you saw before you clicked play, I'm sure you are listening to episode 72, California Dreamin' Volume 2. So what are we going to talk about tonight? Well, this is in the vein of California Dreamin' Volume 1, if you listened a while back. Um, And we're going to talk about more of my time out there in Cali. Um, And I'm going to come at it with some new stuff, fresh stuff for any of you guys that have listened to the first six episodes of this podcast some two and a half years ago now, that some of this is the similar material going over the same area. Um, I'm going to bring you more info about some stuff about some different places that I didn't in those first six episodes. So this is going to be, this is going to be pretty fresh. Okay. Um, and also I've had a lot more time to marinate on things. And also I'm a lot better podcaster. I'm a lot better presenter and storyteller after two and a half years under my belt. So we're going to go back and do that. And this is in the same vein as the nomadic spirit, sedentary life. That is just like off the charts doing better than any other, other episode that I have yet produced. I have to do some more of those. Apparently people love just hearing me talk about places I would like to go. The whole bucket trip list idea. Well, this is kind of the same vein, guys. This is actually absolutely in the same vein because I'm telling you guys this stuff and I have been to these places so I can give you a firsthand perspective on it, but it's still like being presented to you as here's some bucket trip list ideas. And again, disclaimer right up front. 
Y'all, it is expensive as hell out there, but California is a wonderful place to visit. The central coast of California is gorgeous, and I can't wait to go back. As a matter of fact, just having a conversation tonight, establishing the fact that a trip will be in the future, maybe a year or two out, but there is a big epic adventure that's going to be a driving tour through the southwest and back into the central coast of Cali sometime in my future. And I am super psyched about that. But that's the way I'm presenting it to you is, hey, here's some trip ideas, guys. Go out and do this, you know, make an adventure. And that's that's the that's the theme here. That's the goal is, you know, some bucket list trip ideas. I got fortunate I was working for FedEx and they sent me to San Francisco to work. So I got paid to go out there and do it. But I absorbed every second of it. I mean, every moment I wasn't at work, I promise you, I wasn't sitting in a hotel room. I was out living. So anyway, like just learn from the old wayward son, you know, glean from some of my wisdom and experience about some really awesome stuff that you can get yourself into. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, first and foremost, I stayed in Morgan Hill, California. It is somewhat south of south and kind of east of San Jose, San Francisco, San Francisco, San Jose, Santa Cruz, Oakland, Sacktown, all of that stuff. It's basically one giant city. Okay, it's basically one giant city. San Francisco, Santa Cruz, San Jose is on the southernmost point, and you're not maybe thirty minutes from San Jose proper when you're in Morgan Hill. Morgan Hill would actually be a great place, as I was thinking about this episode over the last few days. It would be a great base camp for anyone who really did want to kind of explore the Santa Cruz Mountains, the Central Coast of Cali, San Francisco, Big Sur, even Yosemite. It's very central to all of these things. So, like, if you wanted to fly out and, like, stay somewhere... You could stay in San Fran, and, and maybe that'd be cool. Some of you guys really do dig, you know, being in the bigger cities more than, like, maybe I do. And San Fran's got an awesome vibe. San Fran's awesome. But Morgan Hill is, as of four years ago, I'm sure it's still pretty similar. It is a very affluent area. But that means it's also an extremely nice area, a very safe area to be. And you're within an hour's drive of some extreme awesomeness. And you're within two and a half hours drive of Yosemite. Okay. Like it's really a good central place to stay. And there's some awesome stuff. And most of these things I'm going to talk about tonight, say for Yosemite, because we're going back to Yosemite. Um, but everything else is literally situated within an hour to an hour and a half drive of Morgan Hill. And Morgan Hill is a beautiful place to stay. So Morgan Hill would be a great kind of base camp for you guys. And I just can't even. I can't even express to you how fond my memories of Morgan Hill are that that time of my life. You know, it may have been special in a lot of ways for me on a personal level. You know, it might have been one of those. And I think it was one of those perfect storms. Right time, right place. Something I needed really bad in my life, you know, went my way for once, dropped into my lap. And there I was. And it was something that I needed for my freaking growth as a person, my future. Um really my future trajectory, my path, it was something I really needed. So there's a good chance that I'm going to have nostalgia involved with that. I'm going to have good memories of, of something that was, you know, really kind of special turning point in my life. But objectively, it's still amazing. And you know what? It's the kind of place you go out there and spend a day or two cruising up and down Big Sur and standing out in those redwood forests and, and kind of seeing firsthand, seeing I don't know, maybe seeing's not the right word, but kind of sensing your place in the universe. Like, 
how infinitesimally small we are, but at the same time, how integral we are and connected we are to everything. And and I'm not even getting all like esoteric and ethereal and yeah, you can go there with it. But I mean, even in a very real material, human, physical sense, we are infinitesimally small, but we are a major factor in everything around us. We are plugged into all of it. And it's places like that, that, that help you realize that. And, and, and it's, it's not even something you can necessarily go out there looking for. Like, I want to realize this and I'm going to follow this formula. You no, know, it's really just something that happens to you while you're there. And maybe you can follow a formula to get to the same result. I don't know. But what I do know is it is a really, really, really inspiring place on many levels, but that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So like right out of the gate, let's start with taking a jaunt across the valley to the east and uh, going back to Yosemite for a minute. Like I want to do that here in the first half of the episode, because I can probably talk about Yosemite for a while. Um, and then these other places are county and state parks that are close to Morgan Hill. And, and that's something else we're going to talk about in a minute is how California has something that a lot of places do not have, which is county parks, which most of them are on par with any state park I've ever been in, in any other part of the country. Um, they really do that upright out there in Cali. But first, let's have a head over to Yos- Yosemite. Um, Yosemite, y'all. It almost speaks for itself, for one thing. Everybody knows what it is. Everybody's seen the pictures and videos. Some people get it confused with Yellowstone because they are two Y names within basically the same region of the country. Um, But no, they are completely different. You know, Yosemite sets atop a giant, giant volcano, a giant caldera, an ancient, massive super volcano. Um, Any of those shows you've ever seen on like the History Channel or whatever, Like, they're actually based on fact. It really does. That's where all the hot springs and the geysers and all that come from. But, um, you know, the doomsday part of it, eh, maybe, maybe not. But Yosemite's its own thing. Never been there. Can't, or not Yosemite. Yellowstone is its own thing. Never been there. Want to go. It's on my list. But Yosemite is like a completely different thing. Now, it did have to do with volcanic activity at one time. When you're looking at... Um, Half Dome and you're looking at El Cap and you're looking at some of those things. They're like right in the main, you know, the main part of Yosemite down in Yosemite Valley. Those are volcanic. I mean, they're giant plutons, which at one point were way under the earth. How tall are those? They're very tall. Imagine that. They're at one time way under the earth. And they were just like giant chambers of magma that kind of pulsed upward and then, you know, lost their steam and cooled off and solidified into giant blocks of granite. And um, they just kind of hung out until erosion did its job. And then here come glaciers. And that's what Yosemite Valley is, is a glacial valley. And that is really fascinating to me. I was just talking about geology. I said that would come back around and it would tie into this, right? Um, This is how it ties in. So I'm I'm getting into this geology crap, right? You know, it's a class I have to have. It sort of kind of loosely does tie to what I'm doing with cultural anthropology and indigenous studies. Um, There's a lot of useful information in there for me. Like, you know, the formation of certain kinds of landforms and and a lot of and a lot of the actual lithic materials that are used by the indigenous peoples. And I mean, the world over, there are some ties, but more or less, it doesn't really. It's a physical science class that I have to have. They're like, you're going to pay for this. Right. So I'm like, OK, I guess I'm going to pay for this. Um, 
but it's actually as hard as it is and as big as a pain in the tail as it is, it's really interesting because as I'm going through here, like I just did glacial valleys, right? I'm working on glacial valleys like paper right now. And I'm like, oh my God, that was Yosemite and I didn't even know it. I would love to have had this class before I had ever gone to Yosemite because I can see it in my head now. Like I can see Bridal Veil Falls. Like it's a hanging valley, y'all. Like it is a hanging valley. And and all that is, is like, okay, so there was the giant trunk glacier that like drug its way right down the middle of Yosemite Valley. Now I'm just assuming this actually, I didn't, I probably should have researched this to make sure I'm right, but I do know it's a glacial valley. So from what I've learned so far, the biggest part of Yosemite Valley is the giant trunk glacier. And then you had a bunch of like feeder tributary glaciers, but you're essentially like streams meeting a larger, a larger stream or river coming down the mountain, right? And so anyway, based on weight and size and displacement and all this other kind of smarty smart stuff, um, the main valley gets way deeper, is eroded way deeper than the um, side tributary valleys because they have less ice, less weight, less abrasive power, less erosive power, right? So when the glaciers retreat and they melt off, then you're just left with this giant hanging valley and you get waterfalls like Bridalvel Falls, like upper and lower Yosemite Falls. And I'm just like in my head, I'm like, oh my God, how cool would it be to be back in Yosemite now with the knowledge I am currently gaining? And I would definitely expand upon before I went back since I now know it's a thing and be able to stand somewhere and look and go, oh my God, this is glacial till. Oh my gosh, this is an end moraine. Like stuff that, I know it sounds dorky, but like to know how something formed and then go stand in the presence of one of the most magnificent examples of its formation. That, I don't know. There's something really cool about that. There's something very connective about that to the earth, to the, this planet, this giant rock that we live on. And again, kind of that sense of kind of our place within it, you know, maybe where we kind of lie in this giant. I mean, it's enormous. It's enormous. The more you learn, the more mind-blowing the world gets, right? The more you learn about how really the odds are so against even an Earth planet existing in, in one single galaxy. Now, there's billions of them out there, we know, because that's how big the universe is, right? But, like, again, we can see a long ways, and we haven't found anything but us yet so far. They're pretty sure it's out there. The smart science people are like, yeah, it's probably out there. But it, it's, it's somewhat rare, right? It's exceedingly rare. This is a special environment that we managed to live in that is quite tentatively balanced based on like a million factors. And this earth itself is quite precariously balanced on like a million factors. And it's just like, you get there and it's like, man, it will just kind of blow your mind. The more you know about everything, the more you kind of understand your place and everything. Like, honestly, it could be a little overwhelming, but it's also really cool. Like, it's also really cool. Like, I feel more connected to, like, what it means to be a human now than I ever have in my life. You know, forever. I was just like, what's, where, what the heck? I don't understand. What's the point of me? Like, I don't know the point of me necessarily, but I kind of know where I exist as a part of my species within all of this. And it's interesting. It's interesting. Anyway, this isn't a science show. This is a history trap, not even a history show. It's a travel show where I talk about a lot of nerdy stuff that I love, like history and science. But anyway, Yosemite, what you really need to know 
for all of you that have hung around through my little diatribe there, and I'm like, I don't care about science, Justin. That's cool. Because what you all you really need to know is it doesn't matter all sciencey how it got there. What you need to know is it is one of the most magnificent places you're gonna ever lay your eyes on. It just is. It just is. I mean, had any of you guys watch Free Solo? Like, I'm not a rock climber, and I'm definitely not into free soloing stuff. Like, even if my shoulders weren't all jacked up, I'm not hanging off of a, I mean, I don't need that in my life. I don't, I'm not going to hang a thousand feet above a valley floor by my fingertips and not even be roped to the stupid wall, you know, to the bluff, to the face. I'm not going to be roped to the face. I'm not hanging. I'm not doing that. But a lot of you probably watched Free Solo. I mean, it's on, gosh, it may be on Netflix now, but it's out there. It's streaming and it's, it's a pretty intense show, man. It's pretty intense. Um, little documentary style movie docudrama. I don't know what you'd call that, but it is documentary. Uh, uh-uh, uh, uh, but you've seen El Cap. If you've seen Free Solo, um, and you've seen pictures of Half Dome, it's everywhere, right? You've seen pictures of Yosemite Valley. The thing is, pictures and video, as as awe-inspiring as they can be, sitting on your booty in your easy chair, they really, truly do not even remotely get close to doing justice to what it's like to stand below El Cap yourself, or stand across the valley from Half Dome yourself, or stand at the base, literally the base of Bridalville Falls. Like, it falls... Like, do you know how hard it was for me to take a picture of Bridalville Falls? It was so hard that I didn't really get a good one. Because when you hike up to the base of it, the the spray from the waterfall is freezing everything around you. Well, I was there in January um, and March at one point, but it's still cold. It's freezing everything around you. Like, it's freezing the lens of your camera. Like, that spray is icing over the camera that you're trying to take a picture of the waterfall with. You're that close. You're in the spray of Bridalville. Y'all, that's awe-inspiring stuff. And it's just one of the, I mean, the God, the lakes. Okay. You got several lakes down in the valley, in Yosemite Valley, and you have upper and lower falls. And, and listen, here's the thing about Yosemite. The major, major points you want to see are actually the easiest to get to. I mean, yeah, there's some other stuff. Don't you? There's some stuff that's harder to get to, more time consuming. There's stuff that you might want to really, really hike to go see something super special. There are things like that. But w- what I'm getting at is, you know, anytime someone goes somewhere, there's like things that a place is famous for. Yosemite's famous for El Cap. Yosemite's famous for Half Dome. Yosemite's famous for Upper and Lower Falls, Bridal Veil Falls. Um, and all of those things exist on the main road that comes into Yosemite Valley from um, El Portal and uh, Mariposa. That's how you come in when you're coming from Morgan Hill, okay, or San Francisco. The main stuff you want to see in Yosemite that you at least know what it is, is right there in the main valley. It's actually really accessible. It's like extremely accessible. And let me tell you this too, just the drive into Yosemite Valley just up the valley itself, up the Merced River, y'all, that alone is more beautiful. And that's before you even get to the damn pay gate and you kick out your 40 bucks, which by the way, if you guys like to go to national parks, get the annual pass for $80. It will pay for itself multiple times over after like the second or third time you go to some national park, especially a really big one that's got a big entry fee. Yo, the national parks pass is worth it all day long. But anyway, before you even get to that pay gate, you've been driving along the Merced River at the, you know, coming up a glacial valley. Y'all, 
it's it's it, there's not really words. You know what? I, I'm I'm reading a book right now um, by Freeman Tilden, and it's oh gosh, interpreting our heritage is what it's called, and it's a book I'm reading for my internship. It's a book about interpreting natural, you know, basically what the national parks do: preserve and interpret our history, our nat- our culture, our um our national or our natural wonders. And that's what the book's all about. And it's actually one of the most fun books I've read in forever. It's got me fascinated. Of course, that's what I want to do is interpret. But like this guy's really dropping, dropping dimes, man. He's dropping bombs of philosophy on the right and proper way to preserve and protect things, offer access to things and how to interpret things. And, you know, his big thing is less is more know your stuff, but shut up most of the time and let the thing talk for itself. And there's a quote in there he talks about, and it came from, I believe it was a famous philosopher, but I'm not going to quote it. I should have made a note of it. But basically he's, he's saying is if you have to say it's beautiful, it's maybe not as beautiful as you think. And, and that's kind of a little deep because yeah, Yosemite is incredibly beautiful. And I'm sitting there talking about how beautiful it is, but kind of the bigger point he's trying to make is, and I think this is actually the quote, no matter how many times you say something is beautiful, it doesn't make it any more beautiful. Okay. And that's a really good point. Like we overuse that term and it gets watered down, right? It gets diluted and then it doesn't really carry the same weight. And you can only use so many words. Like I'm a descriptive person. That's what I do is tell stories, right? There's not really words for it. Yosemite alone, there's not words for all you can really do. All I can do through this, this medium you know, speaking through an audio format, the only thing I can really do to talk about Yosemite is kind of explain to you what it's like to be there because it's almost pointless to sit here and tell you it's beautiful because you already know that, right? But to drive up along the Merced River, and it's really interesting because for me, I love, you know, old railroads and I love abandoned things. I love urbex. I love rurex. You drive along the old logging railroad that came in and out of Yosemite Valley. And, you know, I don't think there's tracks on it anymore, as I recall, but you can follow the the grade of it. You can see it in the distance. You see the old trestles in some places. You see the bridge abutments in other places. And you're driving along this river that that is filled with meltwater, right, from the mountains. And it's ice cold. It's crystal clear. And it's roaring through rapids over boulders and around, you know, glacial erratics and all of these different, it's, it's a landscape like you've not seen before. If you've not been somewhere like this and you get to drive through this Valley for what seems like forever before you've ever even paid a dime to enter into Yosemite. And that can tell you and give you an indication of how incredible Yosemite is because that's the point they decide this is where we're going to, it gets so much better. We're going to make you pay for it. That makes sense. Anyway, to go to Yosemite is really to experience something really special. And, oh, I forgot to mention when you first come into the park, one of the first things that you can come into and get access to is the, the tunnel view. And the tunnel view is the classic image of Yosemite Valley. As you look across the valley, you see Bridal Veil plummeting to your right. You see El Cap to your left. You see Half Dome to your right in the distance. You see, I believe you can see Upper and Lower Falls from there. I'd have to check my photos. But that view from Tunnel View is breathtaking. It's postcard material. There's not like not a camera on this planet that you can't take that picture with and come away with something that people are like, damn, you're a photographer, aren't you? Like it takes itself. It's a picture that takes itself. 
it's like one of those rare photos that isn't a sunset that like it's hard to screw up. It's that beautiful. Um, and that's something you need to take in. And when I was there, one of the four trips, I made four trips, y'all. I came over from San Francisco four times. We had Sundays off when I was doing that stretch, that hitch with FedEx, with Big Purple. We had Sundays off. So I actually got to spend quite a bit of time. You know, my later hitches with FedEx on the road were like seven days a week for two or three weeks straight. You didn't get a day off. But I had days off then. And I went to Yosemite like four times. That also should be indicative of what, you know, how impressive Yosemite is to be there in person and experience. But one of the trips I went in was super cool because I went, you know, straight to tunnel view. It's one of the first things that you kind of get access to within the park. That's one of the kind of famous things there. And I get up to tunnel view and I'm surrounded by tour buses, of course. Um, but what I watched happen over the next 10, 15 minutes, like there wasn't anyone around me anymore. They were there, but they were lost to me. Like I was in my own world because I got a good spot to get a really good picture of the valley and just kind of take it all in. And I watched a snowstorm and I say a storm, you know, maybe just like a squall or maybe just like a little pop up. Like I told you guys out in the desert and stuff, I came across things that were like pop up thunderstorms. I told you this in an episode some time ago. Um, I like pop up thunderstorms here in the summer. They have like pop up snowstorms. They literally look like little thunderheads, but they're spitting out snow and they're just tiny little cells. And it's kind of interesting. I watched one of those things. I'm sure they have a, an actual clinical term or meteorological term, but I watched one of those kind of spill over into the valley across Bridalville and, and just kind of roll into the valley in these, these white like drifts of snow beneath it, you know, these kind of grayish white trails of snow following underneath it, pouring into Yosemite Valley as it came across the mountain. And you're getting to see it from distance, right? You're going to see it broadside on. That was like a really, really special moment for me. And I got photos of it, but no one's ever seen those photos because I can't figure out how to edit that stupid photo to bring it more true to life to how I saw it with my eyes. The distance, the quality of camera I had, which was a decent quality camera, but not a decent quality camera. Um, I can't get it to recreate in the way that I saw it. And when you look at the picture, it does not even do it justice to me. To this day, I look at it, I'm like, it looks nothing like the wondrousness that I saw that day. And I have new editing software. It's one of these days I'm going to try to sit down and really do something with it and see if I can't find a way to make it stand out enough and that's the thing about taking pictures. Any of you photographers know what I'm talking about. That depth of field is hard to pull off. And it's especially hard to pull off when the subject is like kind of this misty, fine, white cloudiness, foggy lookingness, which is the snow falling at like a mile and a half in the distance. It's hard to, it's hard to get some depth perception on that. Our eyes do it well. Cameras don't recreate it well. Um, so one of these days, maybe I'll get that picture edited into something I can share with the world. But y'all, these are the things that you get the opportunity to experience if you get off of your butt and you go out and you live your life, like take the opportunities when they're there. The whole point of this podcast, we've talked about it hundreds of times, probably at this point, but you have to be there to experience it. Like I said, get to the base of Bridalville Falls. Y'all, it's extremely accessible, almost everything there. Like you can get to the base of upper and lower falls really easy too. It's not a very long hike and you're hiking out in like just some of the most beautiful land you've ever seen. And you come up on these giant waterfalls that are just crushing. They're crushing 
like the 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 spray is is like kind of radiating from the waterfall into the valley in all directions and you're standing there and you feel it on your skin and you are watching this you are taking this in with your own five senses as opposed to one sense which is your eyesight through the medium of a camera or perhaps you even have audio maybe you're watching a video of it but like maximum two senses when you're there you feel it you feel it in your soul man like you're gonna get a sixth sense a real one if you get out there you'll feel it in places that you didn't know existed inside of you yosemite is and should be on most people's bucket list you should get there i will say this i understand it's getting insanely crowded when i went in January through March, I had a pretty good time. There weren't many people there. And maybe that's true every year. I don't know. I'm sure the season is like probably in the summer when everyone vacations or whatever. But I've been seeing posts on Facebook. I saw some video and um, I saw a post by the National Park Service that they have like right now, they're currently having like a six week period for public commenting. And what they're looking for is input from the public to try to decide to what to do about the congestion in Yosemite and how to improve the roads and access to Yosemite, but still protect Yosemite because we humans, as I've been over before, and I'm not going to get preachy tonight, but we destroy the hell out of everything and beautiful things need to be protected from us. They need to be, but they're not trying to restrict access. They're trying to figure out how can we get everyone in here that wants to see this safely because now we're having traffic jams every day. And how much fun is it to go see Yosemite if you're sitting in the same traffic jam that you were sitting in in Oakland before you came out? You know what I mean? It's taken away from the entire experience. I saw a video after the 4th of July, which is just a couple of weeks ago now from Lake Tahoe. It was really heartbreaking to see how freaking filthy and I saved it. I almost said the word. How freaking filthy humans are. Like, Tahoe's beautiful. Have you ever seen Tahoe? Tahoe's gorgeous. And all these people went and watched the fireworks show, and they left their freaking camping chairs. They left six-packs. They left trash everywhere. They left dirty diapers. It looked like what Woodstock, New York, looked like after Woodstock in 69. Okay. And guess what? I'm also seeing a lot of pictures in our Buffalo River Facebook page that that's happening on our Buffalo River too. My Buffalo River, this beautiful Buffalo River that we have in Arkansas is becoming, I mean, it, it's not good and it's heartbreaking and they're having this problem in Yosemite. And this is just something you guys, if you're going out and you're doing things, be good humans, be good stewards. And I, I'm not, I shouldn't even be telling you guys this. Because you're not the ones doing it. The people doing it don't give a flip about the outdoors. They're there because that's where the cops aren't. Like, I'm just be straight with you. That's where they are because that's where the cops ain't. Right? And that's where they can party and get a little deboshy. People around here like to do some deboshing. And um, then walk away and leave all their crap for someone else to have to deal with. Which is the people like you and I that are listening to this podcast. Because we're not going to walk out there and look at that and then leave it. We're going to have to drag it out because that's what our conscious and our principles tell us to do. Um, yeah. Anyway, I don't know where I was going with that. Except that Yosemite is incredibly congested now. And it's becoming very hard to visit. And my suggestion to you would be if you want to make some of these bucket list trips that we're talking about. Consider doing them midweek and consider doing them off season. Find out when the peak season is 
and look all around that peak season and see when they have low volume and and try to go during low volume times and even midweek during a low volume time because really and truly y'all it's going to be a travesty of ju- it's going to be a tragedy not a travesty it's going to be a tragedy but we are going to reach a point if we're not careful at some point all of us aren't really going to want to go back to any of these places anymore because it's not worth the nightmare the hassle the headache of all the crap get out there while you can or at least, I mean, maybe it'll die off. Maybe the COVID surge of outdoors people will kind of die off. And maybe it'll go back to like those of us who actually care about the place and are less about the Instagram feed and just wanting to look like we are outdoors people and super deep and philosophical. Um, But until then, you guys still need to go. But think about going in the off season and it will be a much more enjoyable time for you. Anyway, I've ran very long for the first half of this episode. Um, to kind of wrap up Yosemite and not just cut it off short like that, you already know that you need to go because it's Yosemite. But just take my word for it. Like, you will enjoy it. Stay out there somewhere in the middle of the valley or out there around Morgan Hill. Make you a couple of hour drive over. The freaking drive over is beautiful down through the valley. All the agriculture alongside some giant reservoirs that are beautiful. You get to drive up the valley along the Merced River, which in and of itself is a really, really epic experience. And all the hits, all the big ones in Yosemite are right there in Yosemite Valley. And if you're super adventurous and you can get lucky and score a camping spot or a cabin in Yosemite, there's some even more amazing stuff that you can get out there and see that'll take a little bit of hiking, that'll take a little bit more planning. But Yosemite's really actually incredibly accessible and really the whole experience from, like I said, if we're going to base out of Morgan Hill for this episode, the whole experience from Morgan Hill to Yosemite and back is actually a really awesome experience because it's beautiful, beautiful country. You know, every aspect of it. Anyway, we're going to keep California dreaming in the second half of the episode, and we need to get over there to that part. So let's go ahead and stop here, take our break, and I'll catch you guys on the other side. What is up, all of you wayward souls? I want to tell you guys about our newest sponsor, Bendetti Optics a brand based right here in the good old U.S. of A., Portland, Oregon, to be exact. And I bought my first pair of Bendetti sunglasses about a year and a half ago and fell in love with them so much so that I got online and ordered a couple of more pair. And when I did, there was a small shipping snafu, an order fulfillment snafu, and I got on the phone, gave them a call, and guess what? I get a call back from who? One of the big men themselves right there in Portland, from the top of the chain have a great conversation and we end up starting this great relationship we have they more than made right the little snafu that occurred and i am now a huge proponent of them because i can tell you from personal experience they are good people and they are trying to compete with the big boys out there coming in at a price point of about 40 dollars, but using the exact same frame material tr90 and the same polarization process as the big guys as it turns out something i think we are already probably knew in our hearts when you buy big name sunglasses you're buying a big name not necessarily any more quality than you can get somewhere else like at bendetti optics they have 29 different styles they have multiple polarization options for whatever climate you happen to live in and they back it up with like this lifetime guarantee that if your dog eats your sunglasses it doesn't matter how you break them send it back in with a check to cover shipping and handling and you're golden you got a new pair on the way these guys are truly trying to do it right and they have this philosophy that a really good pair of sunglasses should not cost you so much that you are afraid to wear them and i think all of us outdoorsmen can relate to that 
So if you guys, like me, are very practical and like to get more bang for your buck and wear some great looking sunglasses, check out BendettiOptics.com. That's B-E-N-D-E-T-T-I Optics.com. Or you can go over to Instagram slash Optics. And that I highly suggest, whether you buy a pair or not, just to check out the cutest pupper you will ever see modeling sunglasses. Once again, that's BendettiOptics.com. And make sure and let them know Wayward Stories sent you. And welcome back. Thank you guys for sticking around through our sponsor break. All right, let's just get right back into it. We got a lot to talk about tonight. And also, just by the way, this is going to end up having a, um, we're going to end up having a California Dream in Volume 3 that's going to set on the back burner until I get to another point where I don't have enough fresh adventures. Um, but we can revisit a whole nother section. We're going to go back to San Francisco, to Santa Cruz, and up the coast from San Francisco in another episode in the future because y'all... Some of the beaches up there, oh my God, oh my gosh, Big Bays and Redwoods State Park, oh, there's they're stuff, there's stuff, there's stuff. So there's a whole nother episode coming, like sometime in the future. But tonight, we're going to finish up around Morgan Hill, and we're going to look at some county parks and state parks. We're going to look at Mount Madonna, which sets up atop Hecker Pass, and we're going to talk about Hecker Pass too, which isn't like a state park or anything, but it's something you need to know about. We're going to look at Henry Coe State Park, and then we're going to look at Uvas Canyon County Park and Almaden Quicksilver Mines State Park. I believe that was a state. It might be county. doesn't matter. One and the same, essentially. Anyway, we're going to start with Mount Madonna um, County Park and Hecker Pass. What is Hecker Pass? Okay, Hecker Pass is just cool because like, if you're kicking it in Morgan Hill, like we're basing out of Morgan Hill for this episode, right? This is where I lived while I was in San Francisco or in California. It's like an hour and roughly an hour south of, you know, hitting San Francisco city limits, hour and 15 minutes. But I always just say San Francisco because no one knows where Morgan Hill is and everyone knows where San Francisco is. And the whole culture's all the same out there one way or another, essentially. Um, but if you're basing out of Morgan Hill, which is where I was, I had to drive every morning across the mountains, the Santa Cruz mountains to get to Watsonville, which is where Big Purple Terminal was that I was basing out of. Um, and it was like a 45 to 50 minute drive, I believe it was close to an hour, but it's one of the, you know, it's a one hour drive to work and back every single day that I never minded. And let me tell you why, because what Hecker Pass is, well, number one, it's a mountain pass. It's right there in the name, right? But it's in the Santa Cruz mountains, which are the only thing between the valley where Morgan Hill sits and the ocean, right? So it's a mountain pass right on the ocean and it happens to be a redwood forest. You guys, every morning I got to get up at like 4.50, 5 o'clock, get ready, start driving right about daybreak. Started in the dark most days. Ended up about daybreak coming across Hecker Pass in a redwood forest where fog was hanging in these steep, dramatic hills that you know San Francisco and the Bay Area are so famous for. They're all through the mountains there. These thick clouds of fog hanging down in the valleys, mingling amongst the redwoods, right? It was one of the most gorgeous drives that like I've ever gotten to take, especially as a commute. I loved it every single morning. It was awesome. It's steep. It's curvy. If you ever go do this, you need to be careful because over my three months out there, I don't know how many times I just spotted a new car that was 500 feet down the side of the mountain because someone missed a curve. Like, don't be a fool. Don't don't get to acting a fool out there if you're driving up and down Hecker Pass. Because if you got a little sporty car, you might be tempted to hug some corners. 
But like, listen, man, when the, when the road quits hugging you back, it's not, it's not pretty out there. Okay. It's serious. It's steep. And the trees that you hit aren't little trees. They're freaking redwoods, which are ginormous as you may well know. But it was a beautiful drive. And it was really cool too. Cause when I got to the bottom of the Valley every day, and came off the pass, you come down into the valley, you actually get a look out towards the ocean for a while. But when you come down into the valley, I literally drove through Driscoll's, like some of their fields. Okay. And if, Driscoll's like the jelly, right? You know, like Smuckers and whatever. Um, the, You've heard of Driscoll's, you know, they make like raspberry jam or whatever. They have fields right there at the bottom of that hill, that mountain. And you come through those fields and it was so cool, y'all, because it's like straight ag. It's agriculture and it's beautiful agriculture. And in those fields are not giant combines like you see in Nebraska, you know, shucking corn. They're human beings with giant like straw hats on and huge bags made of leather wrapped around their neck and kind of bucket type bags. And they're picking stuff by hand in the early morning, the cool of the early morning and the fog on the fields. It's like out of a movie. Like quite honestly, it's like a scene out of a movie. It's really, really beautiful. And it's cool. Cause like you're over in Morgan Hill, like I said, you're really central to a lot of things. You can be over Hecker pass and down to Watsonville within like 45 to 50 minutes. Well, that also means you're like 45 to 50 minutes from some great beaches. Like every single day I was at a beach pretty much every single day for three months. I found myself at a beach somewhere because it was only, it was less than an hour drive to the closest beach, right? This drive is beautiful. So Mount Madonna County Park sets basically at the top of Hecker Pass as you come over the pass. And we're going to do a little bit of reading, quite a bit of reading in the second half of the episode. Cause what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you about the places and kind of the way when we do bucket trip episodes so that you get kind of the deets that might like be pertinent to you. Like, can you ride your mountain bike there? Can you hike there? Can you camp there? Et cetera, et cetera. But then I'm going to tell you, this is like the only way it makes sense to me tonight. Let me tell you what the state or the county wants you to know about their park. And then let me tell you about my experience there. And I think that's the most logical way. Cause if I tell you about my experience and do it in reverse order, like it might get a little bit nonsensical, but we got some cool ones lined up to talk about. So we're going to start with Mount Madonna, a top Hecker pass, which alone is just neat drive. Just going across the pass is a neat drive. But Mount Madonna, let's see here from Santa Clara County Parks are the people that administer this. It is in the Santa Cruz Mountains, as I told you before. Um, And let's start with the welcome here. Welcome to Mount Madonna County Park, one of the most majestic of Santa Clara County's regional park and recreation areas. This 3,219-acre park is dominated by the redwood forest so characteristic of the Santa Cruz mountain range. To the east, the park overlooks the Santa Clara Valley, and to the west, Monterey Bay. Maybe y'all have heard of Monterey Bay. That's me talking there. Monterey Bay is also gorgeous. We talked about it some, I think, in the last episode that we did in California. I need to go back and listen and see if I talked about my time on Monterey Bay, because I may have to work that into the next episode. Anyway... As the slopes of Mount Madonna descend toward the valley, the landscape changes from redwood forest to an oak woodland, dense chaparral, and grassy meadows. Park visitors may learn about regional natural history and will understand why cattle baron Henry Miller spent his summers here. Enjoy your visit and return often to the pristine redwood forest of Mount Madonna County Park. All right. 
Hours and fees. The park is open year-round from 8 a.m. till sunset. All non-campers must leave by sunset. Let's see here. Natural history. And this is going to give you an idea of the landscape that you can expect and the kind of beauty you can expect to see there. And that's why we kind of go over these things. Mount Madonna County Park is situated at the top of the Santa Cruz Mountains. The various microclimates and habitats within the park are influenced by the cool marine air coming from Monterey Bay to the west and the warm, dry air from the valley to the east. Much of the landscape of Mount Madonna Park is characterized by coast redwood forest. Coast redwood is one of the tallest and oldest species in the world. This is the sequoia, the giant sequoias that you've heard of. In one of the, it's one of the oldest and tallest trees species in the world, and it can grow to nearly 300 feet in height and live for over 2,000 years. The redwoods grow in a 20-mile wide band from southwestern Oregon to the Santa Cruz Mountains, and they continue along the Pacific Fog Belt down to Big Sur. In the early morning, the heavy fog may give the appearance of an overnight rain shower. Among the coast redwood is the madrone tree, which often assumes a contorted shape due to its constant search for sunlight. Each summer, the thin outer bark peels back and hangs from the tree, exposing smooth light green bark, which eventually weathers to a rich orange-brown. At one time, charcoal from the Madrone was used as ingredients for gunpowder. This park is also home to many animal species. Black-tailed deer, which are gorgeous. You should see a black-tailed deer. And this is a good place to see them. Black-tailed deer can be seen grazing on the native plants such as manzanita, chaparral pea, poppy, and foxglove. At almost any location in the park, the visitor is likely to see the California gray squirrel. During the summer, the gray squirrel lives in a nest 20 feet above the ground, and in the winter, it nests inside hollow trees. Its hoarse barking call can be heard during the summer months. Occasionally, park visitors may also get to spot a bobcat, a raccoon, a coyote, fox, or a banana slug. Don't know much about banana slugs, okay? Just going to say it sounds kind of gross. Anyway, cultural history. Archaeological evidence suggests that the park was used by indigenous peoples for thousands of years. Neighboring tribes on both sides of the Santa Cruz mountain range likely hunted, tended, and harvested plants and traded with each other in this area. The nearby Chittictac Adams Heritage County Park, situated at the base of Mount Madonna along Watsonville Road, features bedrock mortars, petroglyphs, and other evidence of ancient village settlements. Super cool stuff. During the 19th century, the lands of Mount Madonna County Park were a part of Ranchos Las Animas, which means the souls, a land grant bestowed in 1802 to Jose Mariano Castro by Spanish Viceroy Felix Marquina. The Las Animas Rancho was the only rancho in California directly granted by a viceroy. The Spanish and Mexicans used the Madonna area for cattle grazing and hunting deer. Late 1800s resident of the mountain, a recluse and pioneer, the poet Hiram Wentworth has been given credit for naming this 1,897-foot peak Madonna after the Italian name for the Virgin Mary. Okay, so that's some of the background. I do want to point this out. The Miller family began camping at Mount Madonna, and the family roughed it in brightly colored, fully furnished, and carpeted tents. And from the mid-1890s to 1901, they built four houses. The first was a two-story redwood cabin with five or six rooms. The second and third were built for his children. And at the insistence of Miss Miller, a fourth house was built in 1901 at the cost of $250,000. Oh my God, what is that in today's money? Anyway, the elaborate 
bedrooms. The elaborate home was a sprawling structure which included seven bedrooms and baths and a living room with a veranda on three sides and a 3,600 square foot ballroom. Holy crap. Anyway, after Henry Miller died, the place fell into disrepair. The county supervisor got a hold of it. It exchanged hands a bunch of times and it ended up being a county park and the ruins of the Henry Miller vacation home are still existing in the park as well as a bunch of trails to hike and a bunch of redwoods to look at and like some foxes and some banana slugs to look at. Listen, here's the thing about Mount Madonna County Park. It's beautiful and you can camp there amongst the redwoods. Okay, and it's going to be a lot easier to get a camping spot in the redwoods. If you go out to Cali and you want to be able to say, I camped amongst the redwoods. I did it several times in several different places. Um, mostly just to say I did it. But it is amazing to wake up to that. So if you want to go out there and camp, listen, you could go try to get a spot in Julia Pfeiffer Burns down in Big Sur, which I recommend. It's awesome. You can go up to Big Basin State Park or Big Basin Redwood State Park. That's also awesome. But this one's probably going to be easier, like, to get a spot in. Does that make sense? Because it's like a little county park, but it's in the Redwoods. It's on top of the Santa Cruz Mountains with a view out towards the valley and towards the ocean. It's, it's, it's the Redwoods, y'all, on the Pacific Coast. This would be a really good place to camp or go park your little scooter van, your little shagging wagon, your adventure van, like, or, you know, put up your tent, whatever you want to do, sleep out under the stars, but this would be a great place to do it. They do have hiking. Let's see here. Let me tell you about the hiking. There's not a whole crap ton of hiking, but there is a decent amount. There's the banana slug trail, difficulty, easy distance, 0.75 miles, 10 to 20 minutes, and it's shaded 90% of the hike. You only lose gain about 200 feet. It gets harder progressively as we go here. The California Newt. <laughs> Eye of Newt. Anyway, California Newt. Difficulty easy to medium. Mile and a half. 30 to 45 minutes. 85% of the shade, the trail or the hike is shaded. And the elevation gain is about 350 feet. The Gray Fox. Medium to hard. Three and a half miles. One and a half to two hours. 90% of the hike is shaded and you will lose or gain roughly 1,200 feet. Now here's the biggie. This is the hard one. The Mountain Lion. Difficulty hard. Five miles. Two to three hours. Shaded 80% of the hike, but you're going to gain 1,500 feet in elevation. Okay. So we're talking about 150 stories, right? Isn't that right? 1,500 feet? Because 15 stories would be 150 feet, roughly, roughly, you know? So yeah, 150 stories. Damn, is that right? Yeah, that's extreme. But anyway, it's a heck of a hike through Redwood Forest, y'all. So what you really have at Mount Madonna County Park is some really cool camping, some really cool trails to hike to be able to like get into and experience a Redwood Forest. And I think, logically speaking, it would be a lot easier to gain access to Mount Madonna in county parks of its ilk that I don't know of any other specifically, but I'm sure there are some, but this one particularly, this would be a great place to set up camp for the night and be able to camp beneath the redwoods and wake up. I mean, literally on top of a mountain looking down in the valleys, which are going to be filled with fog because that's just kind of what California does. California is a heavy smoker. Seriously. Like it's always foggy in the mornings. It's, it's beautiful. And a lot of trails to literally get in touch with that ecosystem with that environment like your five senses in play 
experiencing what it's like there. And let me tell you something, it's worth it. It's worth every bit of it. No matter how miserable it gets as far as like, say, cold winds coming up off the ocean, humid winds, torrential downpours, which we're going to talk about here in just a minute, actually, probably in about 10, 12 minutes when we get to one of our other stops on this little tour. Um, But it's worth it because listen, there's nothing like, and I, I get it, maybe I'm a little weird, but I'm an experiential person. We've talked about it. I've said it a hundred times. But listen, yeah, it's beautiful to go out there and see it when it's all sunny and stuff, right? Yeah, of course that's beautiful. But listen, what's California famous for? Like, what's San Francisco? Not California. What's what's San Francisco? What's the Bay Area? What's that general region of Central Cali? What's it famous for? It's famous for crap tons of fog and crap tons of rain and extremely steep hills. Listen, there's something about experiencing something for what it's known for. Like it, something that is so ubiquitous that it's what the area is known for. That to me is like the penultimate. That is the ultimate experience that you can get to have about someplace that's basically almost mythological and fabled. Like stories that have been told for so many years and so many mediums on books and television and in print. Like that it's become almost fabled. But it really happens. There's a seed of truth and all those things that are said about these areas. And if you go, you get to experience it for yourself. And that's what this life is all about. To me, at least. Yeah, I'm different. But that's what life's about, y'all. We only get to live it once. And I don't want to experience the life through the eyes of everyone else. I don't want to experience life through the voice of a podcaster. I listen to a butt ton of podcasts. And I love them and I learn from them. Like literally, y'all, it's like it's like lazy reading. I listen to lectures all the time. I listen to lectures all the time about things I'm interested in. It's lazy reading. I'm still in taking the information and actually I retain it better listening to it. But I want to go do the things at some point. I want to experience the things for myself at some point. I don't want to just experience through the eyes or the voice of another or the words of another. You guys got to get out and live it. And places like Mount Madonna County Park are actually, they're kind of smart. They're smart money traveling. Like we've talked about before, they're smart money traveling, y'all. Because it's like everyone knows, oh, I got to go to Big Basin Redwood State Park. I got to go, ooh, Julia Pfeiffer Burns. I've heard of that. Oh, my gosh, that's down in Big Sur. But who's heard of Mount Madonna? Like no one. But I know because I just happen to drive by it on my route or on my way to work every day. Those places are the bang for your buck places. You can experience some of the same stuff, but maybe get better seats at the at the concert, right? You can maybe get a better camping spot a lot easier. So something to consider, Mount Madonna County Park. Let's see here. You know what? We're going to skip one of these because it's already running on 18 minutes. We'll have to save that for another time. We're going to get to the other two. That one could have been considered filler anyway. You know what? No, let's just do a quick overview. I'm not going to read all about it. Henry W. Coe State Park. It's just east of Morgan Hill. 87,000 acres. And what you need to know about this place is it is largely undeveloped. It is open to backpackers, equestrians, ride your horse there, mountain backers, and day hikers. And it's for people looking for really, really, really extreme solitude. It's a part of the Diablo mountain range and it is absolutely gorgeous guys. Like I spent time out there cause it's right outside of Morgan Hill, but it's extremely like, especially for folks in Cali who know what it's like to constantly be in traffic, even at like two o'clock in the morning, it is extremely, extremely isolated 
to be that close to a major populace. And here's the thing. There are hikes out here that you can take for weeks. Okay. If you're like an overnight backpacker, let's see if I've got, let's see here. Hiking mountain bikes, the park's 250 miles of dirt roads and trails in various states of development. Very few are off limits to mountain bikes. Okay, 250 miles. People go out here and do like 10 and 12 and 14 day kind of like overnight hikes. I mean, I, w- I don't want to call it a through hike because a through hike is like going from one end of the app to the other or one end of the Pacific Rim to the other or whatever. But it, I mean, these are people doing like extreme hikes. Okay. If you're into that kind of backpacking, this park is awesome. And, and, and it's on the leeward. I don't know. Leeward's maybe not the right word, but it is on the Eastern side of the Santa Cruz mountains. Right. And so you, you're not into like redwoods here, but what you're in is you're into some prairie lands. You're into more like a scrubby kind of environment. Okay. You're into more like rolling plains, rolling hills. And that kind of environment out there in Cali is also extremely beautiful. Let me see if it has like a little quick overview of the wildlife. Yeah. Okay. Vegetation. Many of the park's trees, giant live oaks, large stands of blue oak, coast and canyon live oaks are native to the area. Gray pines are found throughout the park and ponderosa pine. Those are beautiful too. Dominate the Western ridges, Pacific Madrone, Western Sycamore, California Bay Laurel and California Buckeye are plentiful. Okay. So this is basically grasslands alternating with chaparral on the slopes it's absolutely, it's really beautiful. Okay. It's, it's not the redwoods, but it's like a scrubland kind of land and Ponderosa pines. You guys ever seen one of those in real life? Holy heck. Anyway, things that you can look for out there. If you're into say, um, bird watching, or you're out there to take, um, photography of wildlife, you got mule deer and elk. You got raptors that look for small prey, such as mice and ground squirrels, golden eagles. Okay. Golden eagles, mountain lions, Deer, raccoon, black-tailed jackrabbits, brush rabbits, bobcats, coyotes, and foxes. So as you can see, this is very isolated. You're not far from San Fran. You're not far from San Jose. But you've got literally mountain lions and deer and bobcats, like golden eagles. Like, it's very isolated, and it's insanely beautiful. And I spent a lot of time out there hiking around. The thing is, is it's not got an extreme amount of development. So there's like, I can't sit here and tell you, like, you can totally camp. There's places you can camp. You can even reserve um, a a private tour of Gilroy Hot Springs, which was from the 1860s to the 1920s, a resort that attracted people from San Francisco. Anyway, it's listed on the National Register of Historic Places, and you have to have a, an arranged tour to get to see that. But there is fishing there. There's horseback riding. Like if you're out there in the Bay Area, if you're out there kicking it in Morgan Hill, and you want to see like some of the most real natural like gosh what's the word original nature to that part of california that has been more or less untouched this was basically ranch land in different families hands for a billion years okay this is about as untouched as it gets out there and this is where you can really get in touch with native species of not only flora but also fauna in that portion of central Cali on the Eastern side of the, the Pacific mountain ranges there. And at that point you're just Santa Cruz mountains. 
it's a really cool place with a crap ton of mountain biking and hiking and an extreme amount of wildlife photography. So anyway, I just wanted to go over that one real quick because I don't have a ton of stories there except that I went there. I went around and looked at stuff. It was super pretty. I got to see Ponderosa Pines there. You know, I did see a bobcat out there, but like I didn't see a mountain lion. Thank God. And, you know, I didn't have a ton of experiences there. But I wanted to get it in and we needed to go ahead and get it in now because we're talking about the area in and around the Santa Cruz Mountains and Morgan Hill. And, yeah, you know, like I said, there wasn't a whole lot to that one that I can tell you from personal experience. And you just got kind of the overview of it. So anyway, now let's talk about our second to last place for the night, which is Uvas Canyon County Park. I actually have my brochure from when I was there. And I'm surprised this one survived because when I was there, well, I was chasing waterfalls. And that's what you do in Uvas Canyon County Park. Welcome to Uvas Canyon County Park. This lushly wooded park of more than 1,200 acres is nestled in Upper Uvas Canyon on the eastern side of the Santa Cruz Mountains. This mountain park offers hiking, camping, and picnicking opportunities throughout most of the year. Enjoy your visit today and return often to experience the many features of Uvas Canyon County Park. Outdoor enthusiasts will find Uvas Canyon Park has much to offer. The park has seven miles of hiking trails. This includes a one-mile waterfall loop that travels along Swanson Creek, Swanson Creek, past many of the park's waterfalls. Available at the trailhead and or the ranger's office, a self-guided interpretive pamphlet highlights the flora of Uvas Canyon. This park contains individual picnic sites available on a first-come, first-served basis in the Black Oak Group picnic area is available for reservation for groups up to 75 people. The campground has 25 individual campsites. All right, guys. Uvas Canyon. What you doing if you're going to Uvas Canyon? Well, what you're after is you're after the waterfalls. And right here, I'm going to give you a little bit of an idea of what's going on in Uvas Canyon, ecologically speaking, that will give you some um, ideas about what you can expect there. Uvas Canyon County Park lies on the east side of the Santa Cruz Mountains on the Sergeant Fault Zone. Elevations within the park range from 1,000 feet at the entrance to 2,700 feet at the summit. And let me tell you, you will hike a bunch of those feet going up. The cold, wet winters and hot, dry summers of Uvas Canyon contribute to a diverse and interesting mix of vegetation and wildlife. The north-facing and lower stretches of the canyon harbor a mixed evergreen forest including Douglas fir, redwood, Pacific, madrone, California laurel, black oak, canyon live oak, and canyon live oak. Now, you heard that. We're back in the redwoods, and that's important. Anyway, the creeks are home to a small population of rainbow trout. Steelhead once migrated up the creek prior to the construction of the Uvas Dam. Dams are bad, by the way. California newts can be seen crossing the roads and trails after a rain. I met a newt actually at the Almond and Quicksilver mine, but their newts are very interesting. They do have rattlesnakes, king snakes, gopher, and garter snakes. All right, guys, listen, the Pacific giant salamander. Okay, I don't know that I encountered one of those, but I feel like I would know it if I did. A giant salamander seems like something you wouldn't forget, and I don't recall any salamanders that like made me quake in my boots or anything. And like I've always said, salamanders, I'm more okay with them than I am snakes, but I also feel like snakes and lizards are basic or lizards and salamanders are basically just snakes with legs. Okay. Especially when you just glance them off the side of a trail out the corner of your eye, I'm still going to levitate anyway. Anyway, they have gray squirrels. They have bobcats. They have fox. I got to see. They also have mountain lions. There are mountain lions out there. Just be aware of that. Like they will like F you up too. mountain lions are everything that you've heard. They are. 
They'll mess with you. So, you know, be careful. If you feel like you're being stalked, you probably are. And you need to take um, action to mitigate the fact that you're about to be eaten. Anyway, Uvas Canyon County Park. The reason I went there, and I was there in January, so I was in the cold winter, the cold rainy winter. And I went there to chase waterfalls. And it's because they have some absolutely beautiful waterfalls. Actually, I at one point had a little map set aside of those waterfalls. Oh, it's right here in front of me. It's the brochure that I was just reading from. All right. Let me tell you about this. Okay. Now, here's the hikes that I did while I was there. And I'll tell you about a little bit more than that. But Triple Falls is 1.7-ish miles um, from the park entrance or where you start your hike up the mountain. And it's about 700 feet of elevation gain. Now, on this day that I went, I drug one of my co-workers along with me, Perry. Oh, Melonhead. Anyway, Perry, we also called him Leadfoot Langley, but that had more to do with how he drove a FedEx wagon. But anyway, he like didn't want to sit around the hotel and do nothing, right? So I was like, well, come on with it, bro. Like, come with me, dude. I'm going. Let's go. Let's go. And, and Ufas is not far from Morgan Hill, guys. We're talking like 30 to 40 minute drive. I mean, it's like super close. It may be even been closer. It's been a while. And he's like, yeah, let's go, man. And I wanted to go because it was raining. Because I understood that if you wanted to go and see the waterfalls, you need to be there because they're runoff. You know, they're runoff creek waterfalls. He was all hyped up. Until we were about 400 feet up our 700 foot track. Mile in. You know, maybe 400 feet on the way up. And he was like bent down and it was pouring. That's the other thing. It rained and it rained to the point that it rained through my rain jacket. And I was literally soaked from head to toe completely and even ruined a camera. Completely ruined a camera. Because there was nowhere to keep it dry. It was that kind of rain. It was Forrest Gump in Vietnam kind of rain. Okay? It was that kind of rain. It was even raining from below us. Coming back up at us. But about halfway up. We got to the overlook, actually. We got to Manzanita Point, which is a beautiful overview. I got some pictures of it with the with the low-hanging, foggy clouds that, you know, the mountains around San Francisco are so famous for, the Central Coast is so famous for. But it was about that point. After we had come up, it appears to me about one mile, about 1.3 miles, and we were at 1,800 feet feet roughly it looks like and we had started down around well gosh let's take a look here what am i looking at so 16 yeah we had come up probably about 400 feet and hiked for a mile and as he was wheezing with his hands on his knees soaking wet from head to toe he did not have kind things to say to me about my kind of adventures and and here's where it's funny because that going up that hike you're about halfway to where your goal is for that hike which is triple falls and that's again 1.7 miles 700 feet but it's worth it to me it doesn't get any better than that i was being i was soaking wet being poured on and it was cold and miserable and i was hiking up stuff that made your butt burn like your glutes and your hammies were on fire even your quads like your lower body felt like it was a flame i guess that doesn't sound like a lot of people's you know idea of a good time but to me y'all i was literally living every aspect of the experience of being in mountains on the pacific coast in january 
getting poured on, hiking in the rain, like up this giant hill amongst the redwoods, towering, towering above me in every direction, right? In every direction. So we go on up. Now he, he had, he hated me. He hated me. I thought I killed him that day. Honestly, I thought there was a moment where I thought I killed him. Um, and I think at that moment he may have like been okay. If that was the outcome, he was like done and he was over it. But you know what? I told him like, look, you can come with me. I didn't make him anyway. Anyway, we're still friends within reason. He sends me a text every once in a while, but we made it the rest of the way on up to triple falls. And this is what you go for because there's this big old waterfall pouring down the mountain. Like it's not big. Okay. It's not huge, but it's making, it's a triple cascade coming off the side of a mountain amidst a redwood forest. And you're got landslides off of one side of you and landslides off of the other coming down the mountain at you. Like not at that moment, but there's piles of crap everywhere. There's giant redwoods piled in piles at the bottom of the valley. And the, the ones that, he, that are still there standing up above you, 200 feet in the air. It is a foreign environment. Y'all, it's something like you've never experienced in your entire life. And right there in this little county park, you are deep in it amongst the redwoods, experiencing the coast of California, like the central coast, what it's famous for, what it's ubiquitous, what it's, again, almost fabled for. You're getting to live it firsthand. And I don't mind being soaking wet and cold doing that because, y'all, I'm experiencing the most realist, the most real version of it, the most realist. You can tell I are a college student, right? But it's one of the most real experiences you can have. You can feel it on your skin. You can smell the redwoods and all the different fauna in the or flora in the area. We saw a white-tailed deer or a black-tailed deer came off the side of the mountain and like landed in the road in front of us and turned and looked at us and then bailed off the other side. And y'all, I swear to God, it was like... The incline was almost straight down, and that deer was at the bottom of that incline in no time. They're like mountain goats. Like, we get saw that. He ran right across the road in front of us. It was gorgeous. In the middle of this rainstorm, in the middle of the redwoods, on the top of a damn mountain in the Santa Cruz mountain range. Right? That's living. You're seeing it. You're hearing it. You're smelling it. Like, you're feeling it on your skin. That is the experience. That's what makes, at least to me, life on some level worth living because you know you're alive it gets you in touch with a part of your soul that you don't even know you had it gets you in touch with the world that supports us and it's a deeply humbling but also connecting experience with something greater than us because whether we like to think about it or not this earth is truly our life support system we are tethered to this earth by an umbilical cord that you can't see it feeds us. It feeds us. It clothes us. It keeps us alive and it supports us until the day that we die. No matter how far removed we get from it in this modern world, we can't live without it. Freaking period. And it's moments like that that you kind of get a sense for what this world's really all about. And again, gives you a sense of your place kind of within it and how you fall within the hierarchy of this giant this giant ecological life support system. And it's really, really special. But anyway, that day was one of my favorite days there. There's other hikes that you can take there. You can go up to Triple Falls. Like I just said, you can take the short waterfall loop. It's two miles. You're going to gain five, 600 feet. Y'all, super awesome little water, waterfalls 
all the way around it. Um, let's see. Out here you have, I know there's Black Rock Falls, which is a cool little waterfall that's like a cascade. It almost looks like it's coming out of the mountain, the way it pours. I got a really cool picture of that. There's Basin Falls, there's Upper Falls, there's Triple Falls. And also, when you go to Triple Falls, you can take a little side, like, split you can take the road less traveled and there's an old logging camp you can go up there and check out. And we didn't make it all the way to the logging camp because it got really, really rough and we didn't have enough time that day to do all that. Okay. It got really, really rough. Anyway, there's a lot out here that's really cool to explore. And there's a bunch of wonderful waterfalls. And again, it's just like Mount Madonna. You're on Santa Cruz mountains. You're in the Santa Cruz mountains. You're gaining a lot of elevation. You're surrounded by redwoods everywhere and it's just beautiful y'all that's the california experience the central coast experience southern cali is its own thing the rest of the state's a whole other thing you know dispel that la what you think of california you think of los angeles right you think of those like flat sandy beaches that's just a tiny fraction of a massive state the rest of the state's mostly ag and gorgeous mountains and the pacific northwest essentially there's Giant Valley where there's tons of wineries and there's shaggy, hairy mountain cows everywhere. I call them that because apparently they're cows. They look like they've got dreadlocks and they climb up and down the side of steep hills that, that they look like mountain goats. So to me, they're just freaking mountain cows. That's what California cows will always be to me is hairy mountain cows. Anyway, California is a wonderful place to visit. It will cost you an arm and a leg. Everything's three to four times as much. You know, it's like an exchange rate. There's not like a very real exchange rate at play here. Um, but it's worth it. It's worth it. And I'm going to go back. We're going to go back. And it's going to be an amazing time. And I'll tell you what, guys. I've ran way the hell over my hour tonight. And I didn't even get to the Almond and Quicksilver Mines, which I told you I would. That's going to happen in another episode. That may happen in the next California Dreaming episode. I'll have to figure out how to theme that out, but it just can't happen tonight. I'm out of time because I have to edit it. I have to get this thing dropped, and i got to get it out tonight because the rest of the week I am booked with homework, daughter time, and search and rescue training. So, anyway, I appreciate you guys tuning in again tonight. I hope you are enjoying the show. If you are, as I always say, please like and subscribe. Go over to YouTube and subscribe. That would help us a lot. And more than anything, please, oh, please go rate and review us wherever you're listening to the show. And if you will share us by word of mouth, if you will share these episodes into some of your groups or with some of your friends, I would appreciate it. Like again, more than you'll ever know. And maybe someday this podcast will hit it big and I'll throw some giant party where all my listeners can come and we can have a big weekend and chill. That would be super cool. I'll keep you in mind. If you keep sharing our stuff, you're invited. VIP, baby. Anyway, I need to wrap it up for tonight. So until we meet again, I hope you guys will take into account, make yourself a bucket list, like a for real bucket list, not like a hypothetical bucket list, but one that you start living every day because there's stuff all around us to go live. And that's what I want you to do. Extend the years, the good quality years of your life by getting out and living your life. It's like proven fact. It will make your life better and it'll make it longer. Anyway, I hope you guys do some of that. And until we meet again, you guys remember, like this world is hard enough as it is. Be nice to each other. 